So it's Christmas time, and uh, I um, I always uh, like to take the opportunity of Christmas time to talk about Jesus. Particular inspired by one of uh, the important teachers I have, and that's Lama Thupten Yeshe, who. Uh, in the 80s, uh, when, uh, when students, Western students, gathered in Kopan Monastery in Nepal over Christmas time, maybe even trying to escape Christmas time, uh, he would um, refer to Jesus and uh, talk about Jesus. And there is a book published of these talks, just called Silent Mind, Holy Mind. And Every year I, I go back to that book and, and read in it. So since Lama Yeshe did that, I, I can do it also. And I would like to share with you today, this morning, you know, after some meditation and after the break we will also meditate, I want to share a bit how for my own practice and also for my being as a monk, being a monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, how uh, the Christian mystics and uh, the Christian teachings and Jesus and other saints and also uh, mystics who are alive today, Christian mystics who are alive today, how they enriched my practice and how they uh, yeah, how they brought a quality into my practice, into my Buddhist meditation, uh, which which is maybe so powerful for me because it connects me with my culture and with my language and with my upbringing. I'm raised Catholic, so I think it's it was important for me, and it is important for me not to um, not to. Uh, leave my roots behind by actually integrate them into my own exploration and my own practice. And, and more and deeper I went into the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, more actually appreciative I became towards the Christian tradition. And I, I start to see, wow, it's all there. It's maybe a bit more hidden, but uh, um, it's, uh, it's there and it's being practiced. And, and uh, so sometimes I, I kind of say a bit, uh, a bit, um, I don't know, rebellious um, when people ask me if I'm a Buddhist, then I say, no, I'm a Catholic Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we can talk about a bit how, how that creates conflicts and no, because each tradition, one of the main objectives of each tradition is to preserve itself. So they become like kind of, each tradition becomes fundamentalistic, which is okay because they need to preserve themselves. But as a practitioner, uh, it's, it's sometimes uh, it's difficult to open to other traditions because you're not supposed to do it. Uh, so throughout the years, I always encouraged uh, Buddhist practitioners to not cut off from their tradition and keep open and and uh, and uh, uh, respectful and 
even integrate things into your practice. But then also there's a lot of Christian practitioners who, who look for contemplative methods, contemplative techniques, which they are in the, particularly in the Catholic tradition, but uh, they are difficult to find. It's not like you can't go to the, your local church and probably not. I mean, there's probably also in Sweden some priests who, who know about contemplation and, and the mystic experience. But most of them, they are like parrots. You know, they just talk and they are not embodied. They are not really embodiment of spirit, uh, but they are just... So then I also liked always to invite uh, Christian practitioners into, into the uh, contemplative techniques within the Buddhist tradition to enrich in their practice. And then I want to uh, share today some of the uh, teachings of Jesus which are most uh, touching for, for myself personally. So, but let's uh, start as always with some time of slowing down and shifting. And today we are supported by this really wonderful sky and the clarity of the morning, you know, by just walking here probably, you had an experience of kind of bit of waking up, you know, like kind of, wow, it's fresh and open and uh, there's space and... Uh, and there's the sun, you know, so the light, which is so precious in winter. And uh, yeah, Jesus and light uh, is uh, quite, quite connected. So I think it's easy for us now, or more easy for us now to when we, uh, when we shift and we connect with our body to also remember the sun and the sky and the openness, the freshness of the morning. So there's a bit of celebration of life when we wake up into a day like this. So you can, if you like, you can close your eyes if that makes it easier for you to <coughs> shift into the present moment. And so notice what happens when you Connect with your inner life. What did you bring with you into this moment? And what we explore here is what happens if you allow, if you let this moment be what it is. And arriving here also means to make this shift from the head into the body. So I invite you, possibly with the in-breath, to slide on the in-breath into the body, to drop into the body. You make that a welcoming gesture, as if the breath and your awareness are embracing hands or 
as if you can give yourself a hug. <coughs> And if there's restlessness, or tiredness, or whatever, we just give space. Softening and opening. Can you feel your feet? your hands, the rising and falling of your belly, and how is your belly? Maybe you notice some tension or some discomfort in the belly or in the solar plexus. And what happens if you say, okay, this is how it is, it's fine. And of course, thoughts continue to arise, and it's not about stopping them, but they become less important. Instead, you drop into the trunk of your body. Softening and opening. With the outbreath, you know, there is a sense of letting go with the outbreath. <coughs> so maybe you can follow that a bit and let go of the control freak, of the meditator. Even let go of the need to feel good. Just sitting quietly with whatever arises. Doing nothing. Remember the sky and the sun, finding that in ourselves, the space. Then when you notice that you get 
entangled uh, with the thinking, so the stories become more important than the present moment. See if you can drop back. Not making a big deal, but dropping back into life, into aliveness. To the sounds here in this room. To the sensations in your body. To this voice. And then, if possible, to the silence, to the stillness which arises when we sit quietly together in the spirit of compassion, in the spirit of kindness. Sliding back into the belly, into your hands, and open to the stillness. And hear the stillness which is always already there. that you try to get something or you try to get rid of something, you open like a fist, letting go, letting go of fixing and controlling. And then, if it feels good to, for you, uh, we call upon the presence of Jesus. And maybe you have your own favorite saints or contemporary uh, teachers who are alive today, Christian teachers. So if you Imagine the presence of Jesus. Feel the presence of Jesus. It's like the morning sun rising after a cold night. And Jesus is the embodiment of love. So you feel his loving gaze, a smile. You feel the radiant heart in your own heart. And you just bathe like you would bathe in the sun from the toes to the top of your head.
how would it be to be in his presence, feel his presence? He's alive, made from light. And on the most deep level, he is symbolizing your own capacity to love. So you bring yourself along completely naked because you know and you trust that Jesus loves all the aspects of yourself, even the darkest one, the ones you are ashamed of, the ones you try to hide, where you're hurt, where you're confused, where you hurt others. So with the breath sliding into the body, every cell of your body opens like a flower, sitting in the morning sun of Jesus. His loving gaze, his smile, and his love is very earthy because he is a human, just like you. He knows exactly what you're going through. He is an archetype of your own divine nature, of your Buddha nature. So dropping into the body, into the trunk of your body, feeling the light from Jesus' heart bathing and opening your own heart. And then when you are entangled in the commentary, drop back into presence, into the presence of the Christ consciousness. the divine that shines through in each moment. Feel how you, how you are based, bathed by or held by that divine light from all sides, from all directions. And now Christmas time. 
Christmas time is a celebration of that divine light shining through in each moment of our life. stay in your body and feel in your belly, in your heart, in your whole body from the toes to the top of your head, compassionate presence. And if something comes to the foreground, you allow that to happen. You just bring it into that light. Whatever arises is already loved by Jesus, is already accepted by Jesus, by your own Christ consciousness. Dropping back from the head into the body, loving whatever arises. Whatever arises, love that. Whatever arises, let it be loved by Christ consciousness, by Buddha nature. And then the Jesus dissolves, Jesus and the other saints, they dissolve into light, into the light of unconditioned love, which is your own true nature. And that light fills your body completely, fills your heart, fills your heart. 
a moment of union oneness with Christ consciousness. The mind like the sky, the heart like the sky. Heart like the sky. Absolute bodhicitta. resting in the silence we share, in the stillness. And you don't need to calm down the stillness series surrounding, underlying, and pervading your experience. resting There's so much to say, I don't know where to start. Because I usually don't talk about the, the Christian tradition and what I've learned from my favorite saints and uh, yeah, but let's, uh, let's stay with Jesus. Still, maybe I, I want to start with a quote by one of my favorite Christian mystics, uh, and that is Thomas Merton. Uh, he was an American Trappist. Uh, he passed away in 68. And uh, he kind of was one of the main Christian mystics who revived the contemplative tradition in, in the Catholic Church. 
and he actually also was uh, a bridge between the traditions because uh, he met uh, uh, some Tibetan masters and he actually died on the journey uh, he died in, uh, in Bangkok on a journey where he was uh, meeting uh, Buddhist practitioners he also met uh, his holiness the Dalai Lama and, and other masters And uh, I've returned to Thomas Merton again and again, also in, in my time as a monk when I was living in Alanda Monastery. So during the day, I would study the emptiness teachings on Lama Tsongkhapa, of Lama Tsongkhapa, and in the evening, I would read uh, secretly <laughs> under the blanket. With, no, <laughs> not like that, but uh, I would read uh, Thomas Merton. And... Um, I really, uh, I really recommend that. Also, his teachings on the egoic structure and selflessness, they are really profound. And it's, uh, it's a sign of this kind of fundamentalism that many Buddhist, Tibetan Buddhist practitioners feel that the only true emptiness teachings are existing in, in Buddhism. And if you read Thomas Merton, then you start to see, no, that's actually not true. So this is uh, one of his, uh, from one of his books, and Thomas Merton writes, Life is this simple. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent, and the divine is shining through it all the time. We are living in a world that is absolutely transparent, and the divine is shining through it all the time. So when Thomas Merton writes that, he's, he's writing from experience. So that's exactly the mystic experience. And it is this experience uh, on which all spiritual traditions rely upon, or what they are built upon, and what they are supposed to share and what it's supposed to point to. And uh, Christmas is, uh, is a time where, uh, where, we, are, where we have the invitation to celebrate that and to emphasize that. And since it's uh, like a, a, common, or a, co a common shared practice, then if it wouldn't be covered so much by materialism, then the Christmas time would be a time where it is, would be easier to feel the divine. Where it kind of, where it, where it is kind of closer, through it's there all the time. But you know, there's places and periods, and uh, teachings and meditations which are which are helping us to kind of uh, look through the veil and uh, and feel the light. Christmas could be a time like that, or should be a time like that, or a time of slowing down. And, uh, and connecting with what is most important to you and, and as a culture, as a group and together to celebrate that divine light which is our true nature and which is available to us in each moment. And uh, Jesus is an embodiment of that. So the birth of Jesus symbolizes this. And um, 
I want to say a, a, a few words about myth, about story, about uh, about these important myths, which are part of our psyche, which are part of our cultures. So when we read the story about Jesus, it's bullshit to kind of discuss, uh, you know, virgin birth or something like that. It's symbolic. It's like, uh, in this problem we also have when we read Buddhist scriptures, you know, many people read the Buddhist scriptures literally, like as if they are describing some, some facts, or as, as if they are scientific facts. No, they are stories and they are talking about our psyche, they are, they are talking about experience. So the, the story of Jesus is a story of awakening and it's your awakening. It's, it's bullshit to, to discuss if Jesus really lived or something like that and where he lived and where he died. I mean, bullshit. It's, of course, you can spend your time with this kind of approach. You can do this also with Buddhist scriptures. But more interesting is uh, to see uh, the, Jesus, the Jesus story as your story, as your own mystic story. And if you read the stories, the stories of Jesus, uh, lift them, embody them, feel them. Something is transmitted in this tradition, in, in these stories, you know, like in fairy tales. They're talking about deep human psychic experiences. So the virgin birth is symbolizing that. So the virgin birth means that Christ consciousness is causeless. A normal birth is conditioned. Yeah. It's conditioned means it's it's coming from causes and conditions, but Christ consciousness, spirit, is not caused. It's not conditioned. It's not born and it's not going to die. It's radiantly available all the time. So. That's also what the Buddhists talk, say about emptiness or Buddha nature or Rigpa, the nature of your mind. It's not something you need to create. It's not something which needs father and mother. No, it's, it's there purely from the beginning. So that's what this, uh, the, the virgin birth means. Yeah? It's talking about uh, our the, the inborn natural uncaused and deathless uh, purity of our own being, of our own soul, of our own <coughs> consciousness. And, and Jesus is embodying that, is symbolizing that. So Christmas and Christmas Eve would be an opportunity for us to, to open to that light within us this causeless light, which we don't need to become worthy for. It's not that you need to purify for it or become a better person. You know, you can, you bring, you bring your whole, you, you, you it, it does not matter what you did or what you have done or how messed up you are or how confused or, you know, what horrible things you did or what horrible things happen to you, it doesn't matter. That light embraces everything and dissolves everything and loves everything. So that's the virgin birth.
So there is um, a few things in the teachings or in the person of Jesus, in, this, in the person, in the symbol of Jesus, which um, are particularly appealing to me, or which are inspiring to me, important to me. And one is the humanness of Jesus. So Jesus is really symbolizing that we are divine beings having a human experience. And I'm almost embarrassed to say this because it's such a new age slogan. Yeah? Uh, but I couldn't come up uh, <laughs> with a better way than saying this. Yeah? So Jesus is really divine and human at the same time, just like us. And he is like, I mean, if you, if, you, you know, if you see the Buddhist symbol, and then you see the Christian symbol, you know, the, the Jesus on the cross, it, it's like amazing that, you know, that how Jesus is symbolizing uh, these moments. And we have many of those moments where life is just too much. I mean, it's just such a, such a pain, such a struggle to be alive, particularly if you... I mean, even if you have a kind of good time, I mean, there's so f if, we, if we keep our heart open, there's so much pain in the world. It's like, uh, and, uh, and, and so, and that's, that, that's so powerful for me. With Jesus, I have a feeling that I can, uh, that I can come with everything because he knows. And I don't need to be, I, I'm human, and I struggle, and I'm imperfect, and I'm in, and I'm divine, at the same time, and that's so uh, that's so beautiful. This reminds me of a of a of a quote of uh, another tradition, uh, Rumi. Uh, so that was that would be the Islamic tradition. Uh, there's this verse uh, where he kind of sings. It's more a song. He says, uh, come, come, ours is not a caravan of despair, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times. Come, come, yeah, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, come, come. And, and that's for me, Jesus. Yeah, Jesus approached everyone. Jesus loved everyone. It does not matter what you bring. So that's the uh, now the second part was more the the that Jesus is an embodiment of love. So this um, this first point uh, that Je Jesus is divine and human at the same time. You know the stories of Jesus they are so down to earth. They're so uh, you no know, he he cries out in despair with us, like in his last moments. You know he says, God, why did you forsake me? It's completely different than this. This, yeah. This is also fantastic, yeah? But since now I do a bit advertising of Jesus, so it might sound sometimes that I love Jesus more than I love Buddha. 
Yeah, maybe I do. Yeah, that's like kind of love in a more like down-to-earth human way. No, it's time in the in the desert. Uh, yeah. So that's a bit the the the, the story of the Buddha. You know, when he was uh, on the on the in the night when he when he awakened, uh, Mara appeared and and tempted him. So that's a bit like Jesus in the desert for forty days and meeting meeting the sa- Satan. So now all these stories they are talking about you. They are not, you know, we don't need to discuss if this really happened or, you know, it's, it's talking about you. It's talking about your own journey. Yeah. And then uh, in the, in the uh, so there were many moments of this, uh, um, of this deep human despair, this deep human suffering in the, in the story of Jesus just like us. So, his, his humanness is kind of the, 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 we are divine and human at the same time. We are spirit and human at the same time. And then, the embodiment of love, this radical love of Jesus. And I think that's what I needed in that time when I was teaching, the, when I was studying the emptiness teaching and meditating on the emptiness teachings. I think uh, to, you know, to kind of counteract that and, and uh, stay reconnected with the, uh, with the mystic love, with the mystic love, I needed to have the Christian saints around me, the Christian te- teachings. Uh, it's not that uh, the experience of emptiness is, of course, the experience of ultimate bodhicitta. It's the experience of, of, of unconditioned love. But the methods getting there, they are not, uh, they, they are not necessary, in, uh, they are not necessarily based in love. They are quite rational, they are quite analytical. And uh, the experience of emptiness is actually an experience of fullness, but on the way there, uh, somehow I needed a more, um, a more positive teaching describing unconditioned love. And so this combination which I could have gotten also within the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, but yeah, it was important for me, and it is still important for me. And then the third, and there's not many other things, but um, but the third things which are, which is uh, so inspiring with Jesus is his rebellious, you know, you hypocrites. Yeah, it's like uh, he's not afraid. He is a rebel, and uh, he is he is so uh, powerful in his rebellion that he that he even he gives his life to stand up for what he is, and that's so so brave, you know. I mean, 
it's like uh, he inspires us not to be chicken and to come out with who we are and what we have to give and with our gifts, even if we are criticized, even if we go into an unknown land. And Jesus, and Jesus, like every other mystic, goes into in, into the unknown land. A, a true mystic needs to leave his tradition. And a true mystic is always at the fringe of his tradition or her tradition. And that's so scary. Because we are social beings, you know, when we are uh, when we are moving out of our family, when we're moving out of our where we belong, that's so scary because we connected with then I'm going to die alone in the cold. And he did. He did die alone in the cold. So this, uh, this rebellious, Jesus as a rebel, also Buddha. Yeah? So Buddha was a rebel as well, <coughs> for sure. They both break out, broke out, out of their traditions. Um, I have to tell one little story. It does not really fit just here now, but uh, uh, it's about um, you know, this, what I said in the beginning about uh, practicing across traditions. Um, I, I always did that. I practiced across the traditions. So. When I was a monk, for example, I walked to San Kyu, San, a Buddhist monk. I walked to Santiago Compostela uh, from Sevilla, yeah? or in the monastery where I uh, lived um, was in the south of France, and it was very close to Lourdes, which is uh, one of the major European Catholic uh, pilgrimage places. The Virgin appeared there to a little farm girl, uh, I don't know, more than 100 years ago. And this was very close. So when we did a, a kind of uh, some, you know, when we had a day off once a year, <laughs> then uh, sometimes we would uh, drive there to, to Lourdes, uh, some months together. Yeah. And there's, uh, it's, it's a powerful place. And uh, so we went there in our robes and quite young, like, I mean, 30, even some of us younger. And uh, um, and the average age of the Christian monks there is about 95. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> you know, but that's, no, that's one of these sad things that the Christian, that the Christian tradition kind of dies out because they are not able to that the churches and the priests, they are not able to embody uh, what they are supposed to embody. And then we have these wonderful buildings and these beautiful traditions in, in tradition in Europe, and nobody is going there. And those who are interested, they might go to like Buddhist, uh, Buddhist, uh, Buddhist groups. It's, it's really, it is still the mystic heart of the Tibetan, of the Buddhist tradition is still alive in the contemplative orders. But, um, it's it, it, that's sad. Yeah? 
it could change. I mean, I mean, and there's people working on changing that. So, so there we are in Lourdes. It's a huge place. I mean, there's cathedrals there, and it's amazing. This, you know, and there's this little place where there's the water source and where the Virgin appeared to this Babette. Is her name, I think. Uh, the girl. And uh, and then we were walking there, and then there was a Christian nun coming towards me. She was half the size of me, also about 95. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I feel very close to Christian monks and nuns. I have... Uh, uh, we, we have... Uh, no, in the monastery where I lived in Nalanda, there was a big Benedictine monastery close by. There were 80 monks living there. And, uh, and there was some exchange. So they, come, they came to visit us and we visited, the, visited them. And it was really, and they were of course all older than us. And they had been monks like since 40 years or something, which is like for Western Buddhist monks and nuns, really big accomplishment. There's not not many of them, yeah. Um, and uh, and they were like brothers, yeah. It's like uh, um, because you know, as if you are a Buddhist monk or or a Christian monk, you struggle with the same things when you are living community and so. I really like them. So there she was, this Christian Christian nun, probably a nun for 60 years, or something like that. And she came to me, and she held my hands and like looking up like this. And and then she said, "Oh, it's so wonderful to see young monks." She thought that we were Christian monks, yeah, like from a kind of strange, a bit strange order, the colors were a bit, maybe she was colorblind, I don't know. But uh, I mean, there's all kinds of robes within the Christian tradition, I guess you can't know them all. Yeah? So, and so she was, oh, it's so nice to see young monks. And, uh, and then I, I, I kind of, I said to her, oh yeah, I'm a Buddhist monk. So, and I felt really bad about it. <laughs> and then she looked at me and she smiled and she, she was really one of these radiant Christian practitioners. And, uh, and she said, oh, this doesn't matter. We are all going to the same place. <laughs> <laughs> And there it was, practicing across tradition. And she's completely right. Sure, we go into the same place. This is, we share the same universe. This is, there's one reality. If you're a Christian mystic, or a Buddhist mystic, or a Hindu mystic, or an Islam mystic, or a shamanic, shamanic mystic, or an atheistic mystic, or a, a quantum physics mystic, it doesn't matter. We are talking about the same, the same thing, the same universe, the same, the same human experience. We are all going to the same place. Ah, oh, I, I was so happy. The, the Catholic in me was so happy. You know. 
so what's the time? So a little bit more and then we have a break. So I want to uh, go to some into some of the teachings of Jesus and it's kind of a personal selection. You know? So just things which which uh, speak to me and uh, <coughs> I will uh, quote from uh, mainly f uh, I will quote from uh, from the gospel of uh, Matthew because in that gospel uh, Jesus is really described as this embodiment of love. Yeah? So one of the teachings uh, which is really inspiring of Jesus is uh, the teachings on around judging others. And I still remember when I kind of got the transmission of that teaching. And it was, uh, a, I was maybe 12, no, a bit older. I must have been about 14, about, about 14 and uh, Mm, we went to we went to church every every Sunday, um, my parents and, and my sister and me. And uh, we lived uh, back then. We lived in a in a quite big city, and but we went uh, we went to church into a small village by the Mosel, which is like one of the big rivers in in um, in Germany. So it was a tiny village, you know, of wine farmers. And there was a church, and my parents liked that priest. That's why. So every Sunday morning we would walk uh, to to that village, which took about one and a half hours from the place where we lived. Yeah, so we would walk down. We were living up uh, in the in the mountains above the Mosel, and then we would walk down into this tiny village and attended the service there. And uh, and then one Sunday. The, the priest was uh, talking about this story, which you probably all heard. And this is the story where a group of men want to stone a woman who had been unfaithful. And, uh, and Jesus came along and he looked at this man and he said, the one who is without guilt might throw the first stone. Now, the the one who has the one who is without sin might throw the first stone. Yeah. And then they all the first one dropped the stone, the second one dropped the stone, and so on and so on. And it was like, I was sitting there 14 years old, and I was like, wow. Some, something in me was so touched by that. So, in Matthew, Matthew writes, the quote is, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And you know, if you contemplate that deeply, it can, you bring, it can bring you really far. Because, you know, so now the question is, where do you cast stones? 
Where do you point fingers? How can you do this? How can, how can someone do like, like this? How can someone throw a bomb? How can someone torture another person? How is that possible? You know, we do that. So where in our life, where in your life, do you project your shadow upon others? <coughs> not, not owning. Not owning your own your own darkness. Your own violence. So Jesus comes in Matthew. He he goes to he comes to that to this theme quite often. So there is another quote: "Judge not, that you not, that you be not judged. For with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you." So. No, there is this quote from Lama Yeshe, from his book, uh, Introduction in Tantra, where he sa says actually very radically that the outer world you live in is actually a projection of your inner world. So whatever we meet out there, it, it, and that includes the most horrible thing, has something to do with our own inner struggles. In, in the Buddhist teachings, we would say it has something to do with our own karma. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? <clears throat> and so this is like a this is so powerful if you it's so powerful if you stop to point your finger at others you know, with a kind of superiority because that's what you do when you when you point when you point or by the way if you point to someone three fingers point at you you know it's a good reminder. No? If you internally point at someone, how can you do this? Yeah? Mm -hmm. It's like three fingers point at you. So this is this, uh, you know, this is why Jesus could, could approach and love those people who were criticized and uh, who were cast out, who were on, you know, who were, you know, groups, you know, foreigners, uh, you know, immigrants, or uh, you know, people who 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 uh, horse or you know, what whatever. Or how can you say to your brother, 
Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your eye? And probably we can, you know, when when we when we uh, when we um, lean into these teachings and we really feel them and we start to be mindful about this uh, this uh, this in our own life, of course there will be the moments where we will feel, no, I'm not doing that. I'm a goody goody boy. I'm a goody goody girl. I'm. This is like, uh, you know, I will never do this. You know. This is such a bullshit. It's just a sign of uh, a lack of insight into your own psyche, into what you are able to. Of course you are not going to kill someone uh, because, you know, you have food and you have water and you have a shelter. But what is going to happen with your decency when, you know, things are scare? I mean, our generosity is even not very well developed in times where we are in abundance, like we, did, uh, we are now. Then even, like, generosity is not necessary, our favorite practice. But what is when things become rare, uh, scarce, you know? Then, 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 then we will be tested how, how, how good we are or you know, how, how generous we are. So, and uh, I also like, um, like, he, then later he's, he uses this word hypocrite, you know? and, and I like that. Sometimes, it's of course it's scary. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess we would. We, I mean, we would be scared around Jesus, and, and you will notice that uh, when you are around teachers who, you know, also Buddhist masters who um, who kind of look through your show who look through your pretense and, uh, and who make you insecure there. With no teachers, you can't bullshit with your, with, with, it's scary. I mean, it's always scary uh, for me to be around masters like that because they, you're a hypocrite. First, take the lock, lock out of your own eye, he says, you know. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You're a hypocrite. First, take the lock out of your own eye. Yeah? So work first, work on yourself. Become aware of your own shadow. become true, discover, you know, go inside, get to know yourself, and be honest with that. First take the lock out of, out of your own eye, get to know yourself, particularly get to know your shadow. And then you will see, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
but then that will not be with uh, puffed upness or with a self-righteousness, which comes usually with this kind of you know, wanting to fix someone or uh, wanting to, you know, this kind of uh, how can you, how can someone do like this? You know, I have no understanding for that. There's nothing in me kind of understanding how someone can act like this. Wow, and then Jesus coming in, you know, you hypocrite. So it is, uh, and I have been in this in this moment with uh, with masters. Uh, it is. Um, don't so we shouldn't feel like no. I ought, now in the beginning when we did our meditation, I kind of emphasized the love of Jesus and yeah. But it's also scary. It's scary to be to get to get close to a uh, to a qualified teacher. Because this is what 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 actually is the job of a qualified teacher. Once they got you, and once you are, once you're not running away, no. One, once the teacher feels, oh, this one is not running away, then he will say, you hypocrite. No? Don't try to kind of don't put up a show. And and you feel that 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 they are able to do that. So, so there is a bit bit of. You are very, you are very attracted. You know, you want to spend time with that teacher and with that, with that master. So you, you, because you want to bathe in his love, but you're also scared because he can see you, and he can, he helps you to, to connect with that which you don't want to see in you. 